Welcome to the Growing Hope podcast. Growing Hope is a charity providing free therapy for children and young people with additional needs and their families in partnership with local churches across the UK. Growing Hope aims to grow hope for children, hope for families and hope in Jesus. This conversational podcast is based on interviews with Growing Hope therapists, giving practical tips, strategies and insight into their field of expertise. It's hosted by Amy Hobbs, speech and language therapist. Hi there, welcome to this podcast. I am Amy and I'm joined by Growing Hope King's Cross lead therapist Naomi Graham. Naomi is a specialized pediatric occupational therapist who has worked with children and young people for many years in a variety of settings before setting up Growing Hope, which she currently oversees, as well as providing valuable therapy to children with additional needs and their families. So welcome, Naomi. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Amy. Lovely to be here. (laughs) Um, Naomi, I know you're an occupational therapist. Can you tell me a little bit about occupational therapy, what it is and who do you see? What kind of things do you see and support? Yeah, absolutely. So as an occupational therapist, I look at all the things that children do every day and then I see if there's anything they find a bit tricky and then how I can help make it easier so it could be things like getting washed getting dressed doing writing concentrating on a task um, behaving well all of those kind of things I kind of do different assessments and then see why something might be difficult and how I can help in terms of children that I see I see a complete range so you know not to 18 year olds with a range of additional needs whether that's physical learning mental health undiagnosed needs. Um, Commonly I see a lot of children who have autism or coordination difficulties um, as well as other developmental conditions. That is an incredibly broad field of a lot of different kinds of children that you see and you are specialised in working with children. Is there a particular age that you see more of or that you're specialised in? Um, I think my my specialism is 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 probably actually quite broad. So I did my I did a doctorate. I did some PhD research in supporting or like understanding play for children with cerebral palsy. So I've done quite a lot of work with children with significant physical disabilities. But at the moment, predominantly, I do a lot of work um, using strategies that around sensory processing to support children with autism, but also general coordination difficulties and um recently I've seen quite a few children with anxiety and some other mental health needs as well. When you were doing your doctorate is that how Growing Hope uh, talk me through how Growing Hope sort of evolved and how it was born? Yeah absolutely so my doctorate was so as I said about understanding the experience of play for children with high levels of physical disability due to cerebral palsy which also probably sounds like a lot of words <laughs> and if you're not very much in that in the field so cerebral palsy yeah. is a physical um disability it's about uh, it's it's almost like having a, a stroke it's a brain injury that occurs before the age of two okay. and children and young people adults with cerebral palsy have a range of needs so you can have a complete range of a physical disability and also cognitive disability so the children I was working with and um, doing my research with were children who had high levels of physical disability so they all were using wheelchairs they all needed support for 
you know, being able to move from A to B. Um, but they were all reasonably cognitively able. So they all had good communication skills and they were able to talk to me about their experience. So one of the reasons why I set up Growing Hope was, I mean, there are several reasons, but one of the things that fed into it was from this research that I did doing my PhD, I found that children... Um, children's experience is really valuable I kind of felt that anyway um, but children who had these physical disabilities were able to say yes I can play I like to play like this and I was able to kind of evaluate and then present in the kind of research literature field look this is what children say about their experience of play because I think often I mean, you know, in general, the research actually is is quite negative towards children with disabilities, and not in a not in not terribly, but in a way that kind of says actually, if you've got a physical disability, that's going to limit your ability to play. And I think for me, that piece of actually really wanting to recognise the value of each individual child and young person and family who comes through the clinic and being able to celebrate them as themselves and also being able to really understand their perspective and what it means to be them I think yeah is really important to, to growing hope and the way that we want to approach therapy with the families that we're working with yeah that's incredible and it sounds like you really look at not just the child and what they want what they're experiencing uh, emotionally and, and mentally and um but the family unit as well, what they're experiencing, um, yeah, emotionally and spiritually. Uh, do you think that growing hope? How do, how does that look different from other settings that you've worked in before? Yeah, I think so. The reason, the other reason that I set up growing hope is because I'm a Christian and I believe that Jesus brings hope in people's lives, and I really wanted to. I believe that the value of every individual, like, is you know, God has made each of us precious and sees each of us as having value so I wanted to be able to express that in the way that we run the charity so Growing Hope aims to grow hope for children through providing these free therapy clinics and you know whether that's occupational therapy or speech and language therapy or physiotherapy music therapy children's counselling we're trying to kind of uh, have quite a you know an approach with lots of different people to be able to support families but then also hope for families so a really key component to what we do is I, I really want to make sure that parents and carers are really involved within all of the therapy sessions so in the therapy session I'll very much be trying to train parents and carers to be able to, to carry out the therapy at home because if we do something as therapists Nothing is going to change unless it's it's carried on at home as well. Um, we also run groups for parents and siblings. So we really wanted to be able to recognise actually that it's quite can be quite a challenge when you have a child with additional needs. And we want to really make sure that parents have space and the opportunity to reflect. And so do siblings so that they can actually talk about and share their experience with other siblings um, about their you know experience of having children with additional needs. And then Hope in Jesus is our third aim as a charity. And at Going Hope King's Cross, what we get to do is we offer to pray for families at the end of every session. So there's no pressure to pray if people don't want to. But if they do want to, I love to share the hope that Jesus can bring and, and pray for them in their situations. And also in my role as lead therapist and clinic manager, I work for King's Cross Church on a Sunday. So on a Sunday, I'm available at church. And the idea is that that means that families can come along to church if they'd like to if they have a child who has significant additional needs and needs a bit more support 
to be able to attend I can enable them you know I've got an incredible team of volunteers who help out with that and and we can make sure that that family is able to come along to church and the child has the support they need if they'd like to. That is incredible. And what is the response you've had? I mean, can you tell us about, you know, feedback you've had from parents or have you seen an impact on families uh, through the support and the siblings group and, um, you know, being able to attend church or Sunday school, which they might not have been able to um, before? Have you been able to see an impact on families? Yeah, completely. And I mean, it's, it's incredible. Like when I set up Growing Hope, I... Um, obviously like I wanted it to make an impact and I knew that it probably would but having had the feedback over the last couple of years we've now seen over 300 children young people parents carers siblings and professionals that we've worked with in the last couple of years yeah which is amazing and we've seen families who um, you know have really like have had experiences of not being able to go to church because of their child's autism or because they had two significant needs and now they've been able to come along they've invited other friends who also have children with autism who are now able to come and um, just really feel a part of community which which I find really encouraging and then from the kind of therapy side so many families have seen their children achieve their goals and I've seen siblings who actually you know have had experiences where they for example um a one little girl who said that she had felt really embarrassed when some people in the playground talked about her sibling and um even though that can feel that feels almost like a sad thing for her to say actually the ability the fact that she could say that and share that within the siblings group was part of the processing for her and part of her being able to um almost you know process that experience and and then move on from it so just the ability to create a safe space for siblings and you know lots of them tell us how fun it is and how much they're going to miss it has has been really encouraging as well yeah it's an amazing thing because I know we all read that you know the research says having the support structures and having groups where you can talk about it or safe spaces or being able to talk to families or other people who might be in a similar situation for parents or for siblings I know that you know it's easy to read research around that and to go that's great a support system or support structure is is important but to actually practically do that is more Mm. difficult and especially for families when they do have um you know a child with autism or with additional needs finding support structures and maintaining and cultivating some sort of support system or groups might be even more difficult so it's amazing that you've been able to take that idea and actually put it into practice for so many families I'm just really encouraged by that thank you I am really encouraged by that I think that particularly for those families you know for all of the families that we work with but having the opportunity to be able to access yeah a therapy group is really is really amazing and is there anything that you know has helped families or parents particularly in setting up their or finding support structures other than you know coming to Growing Hope for example but are there any tips or things that you've seen in the way um, when you've worked with families or when you've worked with siblings some things that you have seen in in your work that would be helpful for parents any tips or tricks for them Yeah, in terms of support networks, I mean, there are many, many practical tips, so maybe we can talk about those in a a bit. Um, In terms of getting that social support and um, 
yeah just really being able to connect with others I think I mean one of the things that we talk about I know we'll probably talk about this in another podcast in one of the other sessions but really it is a big experience like it is a big thing to process when you have a member of your family who has additional needs it is going to impact upon your everyday life because you have to make adaptations and you have to do things slightly differently that can put an emotional strain on you and I think one of the biggest things is just enabling parents to know that it's okay to ask for help I think being able to ask for help is is really hard I find it really hard myself (laughs) Um, but I think asking for help can can really make a big difference and whether that's to a friend whether that's to a colleague or to a family member or whether that's going to your GP and saying look we really need some help um I think that can that can be really important I think there are also just opportunities you know in a school context or a nursery context trying to just connect with with other families who maybe have similar experiences or with other families who don't but being able to be honest in your um you know realizing that we're none of us are perfect actually the research says that we only have to be good enough parents and and being good enough a parent according to research is about being able to meet your child's needs like 30 percent of the time obviously you've got to meet their basic needs but their their emotional needs 30 percent of the time being with them and um so you know we're all we are all able to be good enough parents and I think not beating ourselves up when things are tricky but being able to be honest and share our experiences can make a really big difference that support and I think also yeah and and aside from growing hope I think not being afraid to have the conversations so I know particularly for siblings of children with additional needs it can almost be like an unsaid um, topic I think it's not always talked about at home about the child's needs or about you know how it might be frustrating that sometimes you always have to be the one who waits while we sort your brother or sister out or um I think you know starting to have some of those conversations in the home as well could be really helpful yeah that's incredible I feel like those are things that we don't necessarily know but we all have this um, you know, it would be something that would be a fear or an anxiety of how do we have that conversation? I, I don't know if I'm equipped to to do that properly, but I wouldn't want to do it wrong. But actually demystifying that and actually just do, having those conversations is almost just the first step. And whether you, you know, it's perfect or not isn't really in, in the question, is it? Absolutely. I think it is important to be able to realize that the conversation might not always be perfect and perhaps you might be a parent or carer listening to this podcast who maybe suspects your child has additional needs or has realized that something isn't um is challenging for your child and I think that can be a really hard thing as well it can be really hard to face it can be hard if if either family members think we should get help or think we shouldn't get help or think there's nothing wrong or think there is something wrong and um I think there's so much emotions around all of those things um and you know perhaps you're a friend listening to uh, this podcast for somebody else who actually might have some of these experiences I think in those situations when you're having these kind of conversations it's really helpful to think about the things that you can observe so if I'm talking about a child's additional needs or the impact it's having on them and what we can do to help I often start with 
my observations. So I might say, oh, like he seems to run around the room quite a lot and finds it difficult to stay sitting at the chair. I wonder if that's something that has an impact on you at home or, you know, trying to start with those kind of things rather than saying something that's a bit more general or that puts a label on a child that you may not have experience or understanding of to be able to label. Yeah. And it feels like that could be more helpful in being able to identify, um, you know, putting specific things together. I imagine that as parents, um, you know, parents sort of know each other and know their children the best. They're the experts on their children and some things that might seem really normal to them might look a bit different for another parent. And it might be helpful to go, oh, he is really struggling to, to concentrate. Is that having an impact? And, um, you know, a parent in that situation might go, oh, actually, yeah, that that is true. It is, you know, that might be something that I can pay attention to or or be more aware of going forward. Is that something you often find when you are uh, talking to parents or have have children coming in to see you? Yes, completely. I think, yeah, often it's much easier when we talk about the specifics of what we see and of of yeah how that might have an impact and that makes it easy to understand I think particularly as well if parents if it's a parent's first child who's having some difficulties often there's not that you know they they might not have an experience of knowing that it could look slightly different or that there are strategies that might be helpful in that situation Okay. And do you have any practical tips around attention and behavior and that you often see with uh, children in your therapy or that parents could use at home? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I love talking about is sensory processing. So my first practical tip would be to move to do as many movement breaks as possible. Now, let me explain what that is and and why it's important. So we all take in and understand the world through our senses. So our sense of sight, smell, hearing, taste, touch. But you also have your sense of proprioception, which is your sense of body awareness. So if I put my arm in one place and I close my eyes, I can copy it with the other arm because I know where my body is in space without having to look at it. And then you have your vestibular sense, which is your sense of how fast you're moving in the direction that you're moving in, and your interoceptive sense, which is like an internal sense, um, which tells you about things like if you're hungry or in pain or need the toilet. But Basically, you can put all of those senses into a pyramid and right at the bottom of that pyramid are your sense of proprioception, your sense of your tactile sense, your sense of touch and your vestibular sense, your sense of movement. And why that's important is if you picture this pyramid in your mind, those senses are at the bottom and right at the very top, you've got academic learning. And the bottom is kind of, you know, the brain and how your how your child functions and works. So actually, all of us, without even realizing it, whether we have additional needs or don't have additional needs, we rely on these senses to enable us to do all the things that we do every day. You know, right now you're listening to this podcast, perhaps you're walking and you might be walking, you're not really thinking about, okay, I put that foot first then the other perhaps you're sitting down on the sofa you know you might have your legs crossed you might not but you know if you do without even looking down you might be using your hands to do something you might kind of have half an ear on the kids in the background you're using all of your senses to be able to work out and process what it is that you need to do but what we know is that those senses have a really big impact on the way that we 
participate and engage in tasks so the importance of movement is that any kind of we call it heavy work so any heavy work movement which puts pressure through your joints is both calming and alerting for your brain so it's kind of a regulating thing so if I have a child who is slouched on their chair and is looking into space and I'm calling their name and they're not listening or if I have a child who's jumping around and bouncing off the walls um, so to speak if I do a movement activity with that child that's going to help them feel more calm and regulated and if it's a heavy work activity so putting pressure through their joints that will help them so for example even something like giving your child a crunchy snack so giving them a carrot stick to chew on or even an ice cube or some celery or you know going and doing 10 laps of the garden before you sit down to do a tabletop activity or doing some jumping with them, holding their hands, helping them jump really high on the trampoline. Any of those kind of movement things, you know, there are loads more, pretending to be an animal, bouncing on a gym ball, going on a scooter board. But I would say movement activities have such a big impact. And you may have experienced something of this yourself. I don't know if you've ever, um, maybe you do this, Amy, I don't know if you chew gum at all if you're in the car I do yeah (laughs) and yeah I do actually I I when I was at school my parents had to I always used to chew my little finger Mm. um while I was concentrating or writing or drawing or something and it would just be this like uh, and they had to give me gum um so that I wouldn't be chewing my finger because I just needed that um so yeah I guess sensory stimulation or, or movement and uh tactile stipulation yeah you you tell me yeah no that's exactly right so chewing is actually like really our mouth is a really sensitive area of our body so it's quite closely um if we move our mouth that gives really strong signals to our brain so that's why chewing is such a regulating sense so exactly as you say when you're chewing your finger like it's helping you to concentrate um and the same as chewing gum so if you're chewing gum in the car the reason it helps you stay awake is because you're you're doing this chewing action which is a movement sense and it's in a sensitive part of your body which is sending quite strong signals to your brain which help you feel more calm and regulated and it's the same kind of feeling that people might have if they ever go to the gym or go on a long walk and you kind of can feel it in your body afterwards of like oh yeah I've done some exercise today but what you might feel is you know you feel a bit more alert and you feel a bit more able to to focus on what it is you're doing and that's because of that sense of of proprioception because of those movement activities so that would be my number one tip would be movement activities. So how is a child who you see with additional needs maybe different from you and I in being able to or being aware of or managing that I imagine that parents will have to be quite present in that saying do we need a movement break and and helping them along with that Uh, and is that normal for for all children or is that something specifically that you know the children that you're seeing need extra support with? Yeah excellent question so I think often children with additional needs do have more difficulties than other children with their sensory processing there's kind of you know there's a massive range I for example I have pretty poor uh, body awareness pretty poor proprioception so I you know I thrive off having lots of movement activities in my day and I don't have a, a diagnosed additional need I think you know we all need all of these sensors to be kind of regulating but as you say for a child um definitely a child who has quite significant needs or or who has a particular struggle with this so children particularly have struggles with attention or behavior they might really 
find this difficult and they're definitely going will need parent support to enable things to happen and one of the things I often talk to parents about is kind of you you almost have to get it in as sneakily as possible and a lot of what the the research says is that you know therapy activities and ideas are much more successfully carried out when they become part of the everyday routine so creating opportunities for your child to have movement activities they're actually just a part of the routine you know when you're going home from school every day you use a they scoot along their scooter or you always stop at the climbing frame or as soon as you pick them up you have a crunchy apple or a carrot stick in your bag for them or you know um when you're at home you get them to help you carry all the plates because they're quite heavy or ask them to help you stack some chairs carry the shopping you know anything that actually puts it into every day um and there are different kind of programs and strategies so there's a program called the alert program for self-regulation which i'd really recommend and we can do with children in clinic which is all about enabling children to have their own skills for self-regulation and we talk to them about okay how can i put my own movement breaks in um and sometimes it's helpful for parents to be able to talk about it practically with children but sometimes it might just be actually a parent being like oh let's play outside for a bit you know without even saying why it is that you're doing it but actually just giving your child an opportunity to feel a bit more regulated well that is a really really useful tip I think and very practical for parents to be able to do with their children every day at home it's not that you you know have to find some very creative or complex activity this sounds like you know things you could could and would have in, in your day ordinarily anyway um, so that's really helpful thank you um, looking at the therapy journey I know that sometimes it's difficult to see progress or you as progress can be slow uh, and there's a lot of things that you have to be doing day by day and for for a while before you you might see you know results or, or progress as a therapist what are things that you do or you incorporate to sort of cultivate that hope on the days where it doesn't feel like you're making progress or it might be frustrating or, um, you know, you might be a bit discouraged? Are there some things that you do uh, or work into your work or personal life that you really cultivate or grow that hope in that therapy journey? Yeah, excellent question. I think probably we're always you know we're tracking with families through lots of ups and downs like you say there are some days where things are excellent and some days where things are hard and I think writing stuff down can be really good and celebrating with photos and all of those kind of things so often we'll be celebrating those kind of things anyway as part of like our growing hope stories so really you know taking a photo within a therapy session of a moment where a child has done something or I know that um Families often share with me photos of their children having done something that's that's been difficult. And I think just always having an open conversation um, that enables us to refocus on that hope. So to remember, my child is so valuable. They're so precious. We're, we've made so much progress. And I think the other thing we do within all our therapy sessions is we try, and to, set, we try to set realistic goals. So any child who comes to a Growing Hope Clinic would have three goals across a six-week period of 
intervention and they were very much beset with the aim that we we would be able to achieve those in six weeks with the child having the opportunity to practice at home so I think that's another way that we want to build hope by actually seeing okay like these are the three things we're going to work on this time and that's amazing so in 2019 I think it was 89 percent and I might be tight it's a tiny bit wrong. You'd have to check our annual report, but I'm pretty sure 89% of our therapy goals were met that we set in clinic, which is pretty great. So I think it's it's kind of building on that hope of knowing also what is achievable and supporting families to be able to do that. Wow, that's amazing. That is really encouraging. And I imagine that's something that parents would also be using as they are also in a way therapists for their children and probably more intensively since they are seeing them every day and all day um so thank you i have one last question and that is what did you do in lockdown and um the coronavirus crisis to stay sane uh, I've heard of lots of different methods and strategies that people have been trying and getting creative and doing. Did you have anything? Um, do you know, I think moving was my best strategy. Um, actually been practicing what Makes I'm sense. talking about. Yeah, but I really, so um, yeah, like got out on my bike and went for runs. And I've really been enjoying the slightly lessening of lockdown and of being able to go out and swim at the moment. Um, but yeah, also when I was working um you know doing virtual sessions and all of that kind of thing I think moving was definitely the thing that helped everyone to stay to stay on kilter and um yeah doing well within their sessions so yeah running probably (laughs) and ballet oh good that does sound like a really good strategy and I I almost feel like getting some commission for saying that as an OT (laughs) yeah I think that's amazing I felt the same especially having less physical demands than I would maybe normally have um you know walking around or really did help to do walks and runs so Mm. I can completely relate All right, Naomi, thank you so much for joining us. It's been amazing to speak to you. Thank you for your tips and tricks. And I'm really grateful to have your insight into this. I think it will be so encouraging for for anyone listening, but especially for parents um, and families who, who might be experiencing some of the things we've spoken about. No problem at all. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Growing Hope podcast. To find out more about Growing Hope or to sign up to our monthly newsletter, go to our website, growinghope.org.uk.